0: Welcome back, fiends and familiars. This is another episode of Gravely Unusual Lives. In this episode, Edwin is joined by the Lurking Transmission podcast creator, Evan Dean Shelton. The two discuss the 1983 Fulci flick, Conquest. Not your average sword and sorcery movie, this one drips with abhorrent creatures, warriors, and a sexy sorceress devoted to destroying those who take her power check that shit yourself, or in the meantime, listen to these two explore the elements of a forgotten genre lost somewhere outside of time itself, and ask yourself, are you unusual?
1: From a place beyond time, comes a terrifying challenge beyond imagination. Conquest. Two men joined forces in a struggle for power, in a realm of fear. Conquest. An act of courage.
0: Conquer the Queen of Darkness.
1: They faced the armies of evil to win the weapons of light. Feel the power. Accept the challenge of conquest. Well, it's, you know, it's Fulci. So um, if you know anything about about Fulci flicks, he his violence and gore is off the fucking hook always. He's, um, you know, that's kind of his thing, is being super gross and gory. And he doesn't hold back in conquest. There's so many, you know, because it's a Stone Age flick, there's so many like bludgeonings and it's, really awful there's just so many people getting their fucking brain smashed out in this movie and it's really graphic and and gooey
0: i've I've had some really uh cool experiences with the movie um did you uh you know you know like you said it's like gross and gooey there's a lot more monsters in this movie than in other like sword and sorcery films like uh it's like every scene is kind of a different kind of Objective of like killing slaying a monster. You know, you got the fucking the lycanthropes and the you know the the weird zombie guys, and there's just like so much, so many enemies Ilias has to fight.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's got this like D D adventure vibe where they're just sort of rolling rolling along on their story and and falling into various different dangers and having to fight all these monsters. It's great. that's like what makes makes a fantasy movie great to me. you know, and I grew up with um, at least one you know that stands out as rich and detailed, which is Beastmaster, right? Like Beastmaster has a cool collection of, of monsters in that movie. And that was always my favorite shit growing up. you know um, other
0: fantasy movies that are like they don't have enough diversity, those are like the lame ones to me. Which there's a lot, there's a lot of, you know, like I said, the 80s kind of had a huge boom in sword and sorcery after Conan came out, which I think Conan was, what was that, 82 maybe, right? I mean,
1: uh, yeah, I think it's I'm think thinking
0: that's probably...
1: Or maybe it was 80 and 82.
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe that's right. And, you know, Conquest comes out in 83, which is, you know, and you, you watch all these Fulci movies and you're like, you know, like even just like not to stray aside from, you know, the focus of Conquest, but like... Mm-hmm. Like, the Gates of Hell trilogy. Like, you know, you have, you know, uh, Gates of Hell, The Beyond, and, you know, House by the Cemetery. All those came out within, like, you know, like, two years of each other. So, this guy's not only working on those fucking masterpieces, like, The Beyond, but he's also pushing out Conquest. You know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah,
0: you gotta, like, admire the fucking work ethic.
1: Right. He's an incredible artist, man. And... You know, a true auteur, as they say, you know, somebody who's you know Fulci when you see it and, and that's the mark, you know. And he, he puts his stamp on all these movies in a, in various different ways. I mean, um, House by the Cemetery and really and the Beyond too both have that like always fogged out, kind of super otherworldly, unreal feel to them and every single daytime shot in co- Conquest is so fogged out that you're like, where Foggy, are you? Dude, there's are so we? much
0: fucking fog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's crazy. And they shot it, it looks to me um like they shot all of the daytime stuff like, through a cheesecloth, you know, as, as <laughs> yeah, it's done. Yeah, occasionally yeah. to give it that uh that sort of old that from the past haze. And man, some of it is really kind of fucking it really makes you want to rub your eyes as you're watching it because it's so fucking fogged out. But it, it lends to the weird over the, the the overall feel of unreality to the movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The unreality, man, it's like definitely it has this just mystique about it. I OK, so I I, I first heard about this this movie maybe you know a couple years ago I, w- I was reading through a magazine called evil speak it's like an underground horror magazine it's really cool um and there was an article in there about conquests and i started reading it and i was like holy shit this movie sounds awesome and they talked about the fog like the whole movie is just covered shrouded in fog you can t- barely tell what's <laughs> going on you. sometimes and then they talk about the lycanthropes the wolf people that they kind of look like you know like Wookies or something like this and I'm like I gotta watch this movie <laughs> and luckily it was on fucking Prime you know I'm sure like you know just like streaming in it's worst quality ever so I watched it on Prime and I was like you know by myself in the midday one day like while like my kid takes a nap and I'm like pumped I'm like this movie's fucking awesome so I'm like obsessed it is, with it like yeah. can't stop thinking about it so like I uh, a couple <laughs> years is, later yeah. which is like the last few months i i've i got a uh I, I found a copy on vhs so i was like i'm gonna i have to snag oh it. So sweet I snagged it for like 20 bucks and the vhs like folds out it has like a fold out like bottom you, you can tell like it was probably barely pressed in the u.s so i mean it's like pretty mint condition but um i hooked up my vhs very cool to my uh my, my vcr to my projector and i had like a screening just for myself outside I was like, I'm going to watch this movie by myself outside. Nobody likes this movie. Nobody cares. But I invited my buddy over and he's not like super horror, you know, obsessed or anything. But, you know, he always takes my recommendations. He came over and we watched it, man. And then we had a fucking blast. And we just like, you know, not only did we actually enjoy the movie, like it's as entertaining as hell, but it's funny because it's so there's some very goofy parts like, no doubt, yeah. Just the fact that you know, like, okay, there's a part where, like, even though his name's his name is titled as Mace, it sounds like they call him Mark in the movie. They call him Mark. I always Yo, I, thought I can't it was Mark. figure that, out
1: his name because yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, at times I mate. thought they were saying I thought they were saying Mate, like with a T, and then I thought they were saying Makes. I don't know how it was spelled, but I thought they were saying Makes, and I'm like, man, I can't figure out this dude's name. I just call him Rock Chucks because.
0: Yeah. He was yeah, whipping them yeah, fucking yeah, yeah.
1: stone chucks around and kicking ass.
0: Well, there's a part where they walk into the cave and he's, you know, he's got the, the animal that he's gonna give to him and he's like, oh yeah, he's like uh he's like, I've had her. You can have her if you want. Just talking about it, he's like, you can you can bang this girl if you want, like it's no big deal. Like, right. I'll just share yeah. it with you. Like, you know what I mean? Like <clears throat>
1: Yeah, stone age mentality.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Prehistoric caveman, just you know <laughs> and it just like you know i'm sure nobody has ever watched it and been like you know like oh fuck this movie dude fuck them and fuck how they you know portray things you know but like this was 83 i'm sure fulci could give two shits you know what i mean yeah come on yeah and the whole movie
1: really is um you know as, as goofy as parts of it are um inadvertently it's not meant to be goofy it just is from time to time but uh as goofy as it is, it's still the, the entire movie, I feel like, does such a great job of portraying like the savagery of such an era and setting. You know, it's just so many people's fucking brains getting smashed out and uh, scenes of them butchering animals, you know, and, and talking about the relationship between humans and animals. And then, you know, towards the end, uh, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it, not that we've given a fucking synopsis or anything, but um towards the end when the the main guy when Ilias dies and um Stonechucks fucking burns him on the fire and there's just that gratuitous long scene of close ups of his flesh burning away from his bones <laughs> and shit. And it's like yo, we don't really have to see him fucking cook like a goddamn ham over this fire, but all right, you <laughs> go for it, man. And all of that just sort of highlights how goddamn grim and savage things are in this world.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, well, you said the relationship between animals and man, as well as the, the God that they're worshiping is Kronos, you know, time. There is just this whole primitive nature to it and you know uh okron which i think okron is like the coolest villain if i've ever seen one like totally naked got a gold fucking scary mask you know what i mean she's like copulating with like a snake on like some fucking drugged out trip to get a vision
1: (laughs) she was awesome let's hold on let me set that scene up for the listeners who have who may not have seen this shit so yeah she's like this fucking demigod who's this ultimate smoking babe with a perfect body who has like this gold face mask this total with this full face mask on. And like her and the werewolves are fucking taking mouths full of this dope and blowing it up each other's nose with this huge reed and getting crazy high. I was like, what the fuck man? This is awesome. (laughs) Never seen anything like it. You know, and that's what like a fantasy film is a perfect setup for this. These spectacles, you know, these cinematic like put something in my eyeballs I've never fucking seen before. And and uh, my favorite fantasy films pull that off, man. And this goes right up there on the list, even though I only watched it for the first time yesterday,
0: <laughs> dude. But that's what I'm saying. Like it, it, this movie spoke to me in ways that a lot of movies can't because you know most some people you know especially now me and you have discussed this stuff a lot is just the current climate of film especially like on film twitter and shit people feel like movies have to have some subversive context some meaning that is defined through like you know it has to be this uniform idea, and I feel like Conquest, even though it is from back in the '80s, it threw all that shit out the door. It wasn't about that. It it, it was a movie for a movie's sake and entertainment. the The producers' goal were to make money, but they knew they weren't making a lot. <laughs> you know, like they weren't trying to go in there all making right. billions of dollars like a fucking MCU movie. They that they were going in there cashing in on a on hype.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, you only get that. Um, you you only get that by being so, uh, you know, you can only make a billion dollars if you appeal to 75% of planet earth and you can't appeal to 75% of planet earth, um, without trying to, without pandering, without making sure everything is as sellable and marketable and as, uh, inoffensive as possible, and, you know, that's just not shit that interests me whatsoever. And it certainly has zero place in a pulp fantasy flick.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's 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 a niche audience. You know, there is certain people that are going to like it. There's certain people that are going to fucking hate it. And that's just the bottom line. And <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, sure that was never a concern for Fulci. And I'm sure that was never a concern nah. for really anybody making those movies. That's that's the thing, you know, and that right. this movie moved me in that way is that it was very dependent on its special effects and very dependent on its uh visual aspects. The the story was really the plot, the moving plot was secondary. It maybe maybe, you know, right. third in the aspect of a foji movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, even even for foji this is particularly um surreal and uh I don't know what the word is really for it, but it it has that like, um, uh, like if you'd ever seen, I know you've seen begotten, right?
0: I've seen parts of begotten. It's something that I've never seen in full. You know, I just, it's kind of like this, uh, okay. This kind of haunted movie that I've never actually got to experience. Um,
1: (laughs) Right. Well, you know, as it's, Yeah, well, definitely check it out. Um, But like Suspiria has um, is lighter on this feel, but has the same feel. But like the there are movies where, like you said, the plot is way in the background, and it's more uh, about the spectacle of things. And if you piece together a, a, a tight plot out of that, sure. But if you just have fun on the nightmare, you know, or the or the dream. Rather in the, the case of conquest, I think conquest is somewhat let, less nightmarish than <laughs> like Suspiria or Begotten, but they they all have that that feel of um, things are just very surreal, like they are in a dream, and things are kind of like loosely connected and not tightly established, and they just kind of like move from piece to piece. I don't have to have anything more detailed or tight than that in a movie. I mean, I don't I don't mind when movies are really tightly edited and, and paste and scripted out. But that's not like what I sit, what I want out of a movie when I sit down to watch a movie.
0: Well, it's interesting about conquest is that the protagonist, the main protagonist that we kind of root for the whole time. Spoiler dies and then gets replaced by fucking Mark or Mace or whatever. In the last fucking 20 minutes of the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, in a really fucking super rad ritualistic way. I Like, I love that. Well, let me say that it is weird the way your man dies, like, off screen. The fucking main character gets grabbed by some weird, like, underground enemies pulled off screen. And then the secondary hero finds him decapitated. And you're like, oh, shit, really? And then, yeah, he, he is dead. And then, like... <laughs> He's done. He's gone. And then from beyond the grave, he's like, you know, paint yourself down in my ashes and carry my spirit and take the magic bow and all that shit. And I was like,
0: this is fucking cool as hell. But but as a as a as like a structure of a story, it goes against everything that is in the rules. Like you don't you can kill off the protagonist, you know, you can kill off the protagonist, but you totally change direction because the the conflict of Ilias is never fucking solved like he loses the whole time right you know he's trying to yeah. go on his quest for manhood and you know his his rite of passage and he's done and this outlaw this fucking Romer, prehistoric caveman mark or whatever is he's the one in the end who never really he doesn't really do anything different that he's always done he's always been that guy that gets into these situations and he's kind of like
1: <laughs> yeah
0: he's kind of mm-hmm. like the conan mm-hmm. you know what i mean he's really he was really the main right. character to begin with
1: right yeah and that's what i like about it That that's what i love about it first off before i fucking forget i, I feel like it has a um it has the kind of feel that uh classic mythology has you know where in mythol in mythological tales, the hero will go down, you know, like Icarus melted his wings when he got too close to the sun. And they're like stories about fuck ups, you know.
0: Um, yeah,
1: yeah. And in the case of conquest, I-, I love the the theme that it reinforces because this guy Ilias he he leaves his home where like they have agriculture. And uh society and such, and they're all clean, and um, you know, they're kinda like a, a nice re- representation of Cro Manion Man, like the the next level of primitive human. And somebody among them has goddamn invented a bow and arrow, which is incredible. That's next level technology for these people. And he like goes off for his sweeping journey, and what does he find when he's out there in the wild? Uh but like an actual badass you know this this true primitive guy who's all dirty and living in the hills and you know has declared himself fucking adversary and even gone so far as to put a mark on his own forehead which i don't know if you know about the biblical connotations of such right which are that um when god cast out cain he he yeah, marked the mark him of cain yeah and which made him an adversary, adversary to all and um so there's some cool connotations there, and and long since in biblical mythology, Cain has been looked at as, a, you know, his brother's keeper, whether he failed or not. But that's that's always been used to describe Cain. And so this guy takes our sort of protagonist Ilias under his wing and takes care of him. This guy with the mark on his head, who's adversary to all, who's the actual badass. And um, and then what happens? Ilias finds that he's he's just fucking too soft, man. He didn't uh, he didn't make it. And the guy who was actually badass enough carries the story through to its conclusion. And I think it just brings home the savagery of conquest,
0: dude. That is that is very well said. I really think. And what what really like draws me to the idea of sword and sorcery as a whole is that there are no rules there's it comes from a time most of these stories are in a time of lawlessness you know what i mean it's almost similar to a western almost even i always thought conquest you know it reminds me of this kind of like western attitude it's a a a, like a, a roaming lawlessness there's really no you're drifting through you know you don't know what's coming next and there's no one to protect you there's no laws to protect you and even the even the good guy can lose, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and, and right, I think that's yeah. what's you know, mm, yeah. the strongest survive. It's kind of this uh Darwinian aspect, but not necessarily like on the nose, if that makes sense,
1: right? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's funny you, you say that because now I'm like imagining if if Conquest was about like, um, you know, the the first guy in the state to buy a repeating. Single action six shooter revolver.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 you yeah. Know, Even and he's just rolling around, around fucking
1: bags. being the baddest dude because he's got a six shooter.
0: Yeah, that's that's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly that's it. That's it, man. That's like uh, that's like J- uh, Django with uh, Franco Nero. Like he has a, all these people are shooting six shooters at him, and in, he's holding this coffin behind him the whole movie, and what's in the fucking coffin is a fucking machine gun. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: yeah it, it's uh, yeah, those
0: great. kind of like wild crazy mm-hmm. concepts that kind of you know and, and, and it says a lot for genre films in general but especially for the 80s and you know the 70s like so Fulci's coming he's coming out of you know Jallos and fucking he did a couple westerns in the 70s too which is western uh, for the apocalypse fucking awesome western if you've ever seen a great movie um, no, I haven't. But I he, haven't. dude, you got to check it out. It's on uh, it's on fucking Tubi and Prime. I think it's, it's you know, it's just one of those, you know,
1: cool. If it's on Prime, no, probably
0: no, it. yeah, no fucking rights. You can just stream it fucking anywhere. But you know, you, you come out of those heavy genre eras, and you know, sword and sorcery comes up, and Fulci just fucking knocks it out of the park, and it goes for fucking decades without really being appreciated. And I think not until Blue Underground and maybe someone else recently has released it on Shout Blu-ray Factory and DVD. Yes, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. So
1: yeah, I'm definitely gonna get that Shout Factory Blue for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. It um it looks fucking awesome. I think there's like some like brand new artwork and shit, which is pretty fucking badass. It's like like we were talking about, like, mythical, like, fucking, you know, Greek fucking painting on the front, you know? Very cool. Very cool.
1: Yeah, Uh, what the fuck was I just thinking about? Right, so you were saying that, you know, even the hero is not safe, and that's sort of like a, maybe not the direct hero. A lot of classic pulp stories, I'm thinking Conan in particular, you know, so many cool Conan stories are about him. He, like takes up with a fellow adventurer that is actually like seemingly more fucking badass than Conan and they get out there on a on an adventure and the other cat perishes in some terrible ghastly way you know and just like reinforces the horror of the situation and the stakes for for Conan but like every badass friend that almost every badass friend that Conan meets goes down
0: well and you know Conan stories are so uniform and you know but but every time they're fucking awesome like uh, just like you were saying you know the friend perishes in the movie um you know they're sitting around a fire and you know he asks you know Conan who he prays to and he says Krom you know doesn't listen to his prayers and then he says he prays to the four winds and he's like Krom laughs at your four winds you know what I mean like (laughs) Conan is prepared conan conan is the outlaw dude conan is the one that is prepared for the barbarism that is waiting outside the world that is always there you know you can mask it and guise it with laws and rules but underneath dude human nature man they're they're fucking animals you know what i mean and i I think that's what yeah absolutely sword and sorcery is saying you know like yeah but like like conan's stories you know um The Conan stories, you know, like I said, they're uniform. And, you know, every story, Conan defeats something initially that seems, you know, quite simple. Then he's celebrated, but finds something like in a guise of the civilization that welcomes him. And then defeats whatever is their adversary, but is in the end he's left alone roaming he never really found he's always never really found a home he's always roaming in lawless. right
1: yeah yeah and that makes it akin to like you said westerns you know um the sword and sandal genre and, and westerns are so similar and i think it you know it's probably because especially when we're talking about conan here i mean howard is a guy who is he was born in the fucking wild west you know
0: yeah though like texas fucking back then you know what i mean like that's that's a totally different time than you know especially what we are you know accustomed to it's it's just such a uh you know you consider you know howard as one of those people that have kind of basically laid the foundation for the kind of sword and sorcery you know sword and sandal kind of plot line i guess the whole genre
1: right yeah yeah i mean he's a guy who you know his father and his grandfather are are men who who actually lived the full-on wild west experience um and he grew up in a world that was just sort of putting that into the past but but he still grew up with it Um, and all of that is so present in the the way that he tells his stories and i mean you know even uh gotten not howard but other pulp fantasy writers um Not that I'm very widely read when it comes to pulp fantasy. I mostly just read Howard and Lovecraft, Clark Ashton Smith and and a few others. But I mean, all those guys of the early 20th century were the sons of people who had lived the frontier life in one way or another. Um, And so all that was still very fresh in their minds and, and why there was such like high adventure and grand stakes in all of their stories. And, Howard in particular, you know, he stuck to that outsider, outlaw vibe because Texas was one of the last great frontiers, you know. Even in the early 20th century, Texas was still a wild place.
0: Which I think Texas, it was – I'm not sure when it be – I'm sure it was the 1800s when it came became a state. But at one time, it was, you know, balancing between Mexico and the United States. I mean, it was – and honestly, it was probably – as its own, you know, uh, sovereign at one time. I think, right,
1: right, yeah, yeah. Texas has gone through a lot of <laughs> a lot of crazy incarnations to get to where it was. Um, you know, it breeds a very special type of person, and um, and Howard had all of those particular characteristics in his writing, which is why, to me, he's my go-to when it comes to that stuff. Other other writers may be entertaining and and engaging, but I don't feel like they live the life the way that Howard did, and the way uh, that comes off in his writing. You know, you could tell he was a guy who who had an actual relationship with hard work and violence.
0: Which is awesome about Howard is that he pretty much like we we're saying is he created the foundation. I mean, how many characters has he got? He's got like Solomon Kane. Conan, Red Sonja. Fuck, I'm sure there's probably some more.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Cole, uh, the boxer, Steve Castigan, uh, El Borak, the wolf. Fucking so many, man.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. CNC, I feel like that's the kind of, you know, comparing especially Lovecraft and Howard. Lovecraft really, he could create these worlds and these these kind of, you know, these gods uh howard could create these people and i feel like that shows how yeah, right. lovecraft was way more removed from culture than probably he even knew and that howard was more immersed in uh human nature you know what i mean uh, being from yeah, texas exactly. and being someone that really could, could had to avoid isolation really right
1: yeah 100% yeah he was a guy with his his hands in the dirt you know and and who who knew his fellow Texans, and was out there living life. Um, at least in his early days, he, I, I, from what I understand, grew more and more reclusive in his, his later years. But uh, he he certainly lived an actual life, a very hardy life, for most of his time on our plane. And Lovecraft certainly did not. Lovecraft spent most of his time in dusty rooms with books, and and it shows. You know, he was a man afraid of the world. And that fear is represented in his stories, his fear of the world and his fear of fellow Earthlings. Um, Howard, rather, was out there engaged with his fellow Earthlings and had maybe much less of a fear of the unknown and the wild, but like a reverence of it and a way of displaying that in the savagery of his stories. Which is why, to me, you know, like I love Lovecraft. You know, he's one of my favorite writers. But even when it comes to what we call the Lovecraftian story, or for fucking deep nerds, uh, the mythos stories, Howard does a better job at that than Lovecraft did for me. Because where Lovecraft's protagonist will, in this bizarre, inhuman, and uncaring way, plunge themselves into abyss and horror and madness and death through this pursuit of knowledge. Howard's characters take a grip on the situation and, and attack the situation. Uh, They're, they're proactive in the situation. And even though, you know, they typically don't fare so well, they still are, are like an active participant in the tale rather than like a sniveling academic and while I love those stories, um, <laughs> I prefer the white knuckle approach to it. You know, I'd rather see somebody go down swinging than go down reading. Yeah,
0: exactly. Lovecraft. I mean, he kind of set it in stone, but other people have the ability to do it better than him. I feel like that. I hate to say that, but
1: it's just like a matter of taste, you know.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, and I'm I'm not. I I love Lovecraft, you know. That's my that's my shit, dude. I mean, without Lovecraft, I wouldn't be be into the stuff I'm into today. But I totally agree with you in that the mythos is expanded on and kind of appreciated more through other other pulp writers, For sure, even yeah. as it carries on today. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, certain writers can still you know appropriate those ideas in effective ways that. You know, and as I get older, I start to think that Lovecraft isn't as good as I always thought he was. Not in the sense that he's not a great storyteller, but like even technique wise, like he's not he I mean, like he literally can't write dialogue. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 <clears throat> there's, yeah. there's more en- engaging ways to, you know, be immersed in the, the mythos.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, and um, I mean, the, the, like I said, it does also come down to taste. I mean, I, recently I saw some people, some people amongst the writer Twitter corner of Twitter Twitter to hang out in sometimes, and and some of these writers were, they were talking about quiet horror, and they were um, sharing their favorite like quiet horror novels and such, and not that I would ever show up amongst a group of strangers on Twitter. And say, Hey, here's a positive idea about Lovecraft, because that's just asking for people to like call you a Nazi or whatever. But <laughs> yeah. Lovecraft <laughs> is the absolute fucking king of quiet horror. You can't fucking touch how quiet and chilled his stories are um matched with the level of horror. Like he he tells these stories that exists like as a, a a low volumed conversation over tea that carry the most terrifying concepts that have ever been laid down on a fucking page, you know, and you can't, you can't fuck with that when it comes to like quiet horror as these people were describing it. But, um, you know, that's a matter of taste because, uh, as much as I appreciate a good quiet story, I also, you know, I like high pulp stuff. I like violent, um, high action shit and uh, if you can marry those two concepts the way that Howard does in his sword and sandals stuff in his dark fantasy that's where it's at for me
0: I, I totally agree i uh i couldn't think of someone else that could define the genius of the quiet horror than than fucking lovecraft i mean every every story the, the i mean barely any time usually Passes when you're reading a Lovecraft story, as in the sense of the time within the actual story. You know, I think, I think Color Out of Space has some dialogue in it. Um, but like, uh, you know, most of the stories, it's from a first person perspective of someone re recounting an experience with, you know, the, the, you know the cosmic uh the cosmic nihilism that you know confronts them so uh and it's never like exquisitely explained it's always something that is uh that's that's kind of revealed slowly through uh description and um narrative
1: right yeah yeah and i mean and that's that's one approach and it's it's brilliant and um Some of the most chilling stuff I've ever read is certainly what I could describe as quiet horror. But um, one of my favorite mythos tales, if not my ultimate favorite mythos tale, I don't know. That's hard to say. But certainly one of my favorite mythos tales is a a Howard Conan story called The Slithering Shadow. I don't know if you know it, but it's um, Conan... You know, and some babe, some slave girl that he rescued in a previous tale. Uh, him and, and this girl end up, they're wandering through the desert and they wander up on this great walled stone city. And they get inside and it's completely abandoned and there's nobody there. And it, long story short, they end up like in the bowels underneath this stone city in the desert where Conan finds these people's god. And he battles it and it's straight up like some Lovecraftian out of space and time ultimate tentacled horror shit. And Conan fights it in the dark with absolutely no light, you know, so he doesn't see much. He just like feels how crazy and nightmarish and huge this thing is. And he's just hacking at it and he's getting himself fucking torn to ribbons. And it ends basically in a stalemate like the the creature you know, uh, screaming and wounded, halt like, throws itself down some well and out of sight, and then Conan limps away and, and barely survives into the next story. And it's just, like, it's the ultimate Conan story because here he is straight up fighting like a Lovecraftian god, like, the ultimate enemy. But because it's goddamn Conan, he's not gonna lose. But also because Howard is not gonna cheapen what is cosmic horror? He's not going to let Conan kill this thing either. You know? So like it comes to this fucking badass stalemate and ends in this awesome way where like Conan realizes that there are things out there that we certainly are better off never coming into contact with. And that, uh, no sword can defeat, you know, and man, it's fucking great. And and that's one of my favorite mythos stories because it, it's still fucking cosmic horror. Because some dude doesn't win because dudes don't fucking win against cosmic horror, even when you're Conan the goddamn barbarian. Um, But then it's also still a fucking Conan story because he limps away to live into another adventure. You know, it's fucking great.
0: That sounds awesome because I've never read that story. That sounds super cool because it kind of explains another aspect of, you know, um, Lovecraftian deities. As in they exist on multiple realms and that, you know, Conan is from the Hyborian age. It's kind of totally outside of space and time already, you know what I mean? And that this, this God is present within that, you know, that, that setting as well. And it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a harsh adversary for him to, you know, confront and go up against. Yeah, yeah, it's damn cool stuff. So, so in 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 the context of, you know, Conquest, uh, yeah, do you have like a do you have a favorite part or maybe a favorite monster that uh creature, the special effects in general, just a favorite part oh, of man. the movie?
1: Well, I mean, obviously Okron the villain stands out big time. You know, she's one of the most cinematically arresting things I've seen in a long time. But, um, oh man, I would say the swamp vampire zombie things, the attack when the movie goes like full on fucking Fulci, it just becomes like a zombie movie for a minute. That was super fucking cool and and a great set piece and a great battle. A lot of great gore in there, but uh, also the beast men, you know, or the werewolves or whatever you want to call them. They were just fucking really cool. I thought they had a great design and they worked well in action.
0: The way they would talk, you know, that they would have, uh, they would have, you know, kinetic energy in their face, which was kind of kind of cool for like being such a low budget movie. Like, you know, you could tell like their mouths were moving and the way they would, you know, motion and stuff. You could kind of get uh, get kind of like a a, a emotive feel from their from their movements and stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was super cool. Um, and the, the god that um, Okron summons, I can't remember his name. Uh, fucking Zoltar or something, right? Some some shit with a Z. Zora, Zora. Um, Zora, okay, yeah. Um, when he shows up, I was like, he is, dude is very ominous and scary. Like, he almost looks like a fucking Cenobite from Hellraiser or something. Yeah, yeah. He was badass. Um, But yeah, so much just cool, like random artistry, you know. Uh, I love the bit where that crazy fucking spiny bush was like spewing spines at him. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck is going on? And then after that was over and you hear the the god Zora laugh for like the third time, I was like, oh, that bush was him. I didn't get that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: There'll be just parts in there that it just comes out of left field. Every experience is just like, what? okay, so when Ilias, he's like about to like get with that cave girl that he saw earlier, then her fucking head gets yeah. cut off.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's freaking terrible. Yeah, she's fucking head smashed in. It was
0: like, oh shit, damn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, there's no love in this movie. It does not exist among among the primitive at all
1: yeah just absolute savagery man
0: it is and i I think that's uh, that's that's the that's the the reason that makes this movie so fucking cool and you know it's accented by claudio simonetti's fucking score which is fucking amazing dude like just it's got like those it's got this like dungeon synth sound you know what i mean Uh uh-huh for sure yeah yeah heavy heavy bass like you know like like arpeggiated bass and then there's like some like weird like synthy flute going on in the background I, yeah dude i would kill to have that fucking soundtrack on fucking cassette or something yeah
1: i, th- I think they sell it on vinyl i think it's on vinyl oh.
0: yeah yeah i think they released it on vinyl man it's that's I, that is that is my so i i saw claudio simonetti probably i think it was 2018 i saw claudio simonetti do a screening of Suspiria. He did the score to Suspiria, um, oh, like in man. a live setting. It was it's fucking awesome, man. <laughs> and you know what? I'm. It's like Sus- Suspiria is not even like my favorite Argento movie by far, but the the experience itself was fucking awesome. Simonetti killed it. But they had a uh, fucking merch dude that I was like talking to, and I was like, dude, does he play like songs from other movies? He's like, you just gotta wait and see. Like maybe just yell it out, shout it out. So I knew <laughs> this fucking dude has never seen Conquest. And I was like, dude, I guarantee he wouldn't play Conquest. So I fucking shouted it out. I was like, Conquest, play something from Conquest. He didn't. He just played Deep Red and, oh, you know, right. you know, right. just the he played like uh, Phenomena and stuff like that, which was which is totally fucking cool because they did like the screening, you know, the, the cutscenes behind it on like a, a 35 millimeter. And it was, fucking, oh, it was probably man. one of the best experiences I've ever seen. But still, didn't get conquest. But still, like it was pretty fucking cool,
1: right? Yeah, I'd love to see you might just do a show of deep cuts like conquest and and body count. Did you ever watch body count?
0: No, no, never seen that.
1: Oh, it's a rad man. Um, it's uh, Ruggiero Diadato, the guy who did Cannibal Holocaust. Um, it's like a sort of crazy part giallo, part slasher in the American woods, like a camping movie. Um, And Simonetti did the soundtrack. It's fucking great. But, yeah, back to Conquest. Uh, What the fuck was I going to say? Right, So so much artistry, like um, there's that part where uh, they fall down into that cave, like deep underneath the other cave, and there's no light at all down there, and it's represented in this sort of like cinematic black light kind of way Um, and it's just one of many scenes in Conquest that are so well shot and composed in terms of the lighting you know it's just like um, really something different and and something that I certainly
0: don't feel like you would seen much of back then Um, there's a book uh, there's a book on Fulci by uh, Stephen Thrower which I have right here Called Beyond Terror, and it's fucking awesome, man! It has like uh, just everything about Fulci's movies. Every from from the start to the beginning it has all these cool posters and stuff. It's just super cool. Got all these stills and stuff. If you ever get a chance to pick it up, I would definitely go find it because it's just like a big fat book of just all of Fulci's movies, um, even from like so West. You said it was Stephen Thrower. Yeah, Stephen Thrower. He's like he wrote. He's like a British dude. He wrote like in movie zines back in the eighties. But I guess he's like um, he's like a pretty big voice, I suppose, like in commentary of like you know uh, genre films, especially like you know exploitation.
1: Okay, right on. Cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely check it out. But Conquest just has this attitude that I've never seen in any other film. You know, even Sword and Sorcery movies like Beastmaster is fucking awesome. God, I love that movie. I love Beastmaster. I love Sorceress. I love all those um all those flicks. But Conquest just is just so it has this just different feel than other Sword and Sorcery films have. And I just I, I really can't put my finger on it. Maybe it is all the fog. I <laughs> I mean maybe it's there's added monsters in there, fucking I, I don't know, but Just like even the villain, you know, Okron is just, you don't see that, you know, most of the times in sword and sorcery movies, the villain is like a evil sorcerer. It's a fucking male protagonist, but, um, you know, Okron is this fucking like, you know, she, even, even, uh, you know, Mark says, he's like, I can't, I don't fuck with Okron. She's too powerful. Uh, This is where I stop. I don't go any further, you know?
1: right yeah yeah and the whole concept that she's using like to rope a dope all her savage followers where she's like she sings the sun up from the bottom of the sky every day you know she's got them all convinced that she brings the sun and it's just because like she knows when dawn happens you know <laughs> and they're a bunch of fucking <laughs> yeah, dummies. yeah
0: yeah she just using using her knowledge over it's just like you know it's 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 classic it's human nature man it's like classic society how society works it's like you know just like in general just it's kind of like an allegory for government dude the government does the things it does because it knows more than the people that are under its rule you know what i mean
1: right yeah for sure for sure and that's like um you know, when you when you turn the clock back on a story this far when you're back into you know true Stone Age fantasy, uh, you're dealing with those huge basic concepts. The fact that most folks don't really realize where the fuck the sun comes from every day. And when you've got somebody around who does understand it, they can manipulate the hell out of the rest of them with that knowledge. Uh, Just like the fact that the guy has a bow and arrow makes him the deadliest motherfucker around. And everybody's like, holy shit, this flying weapon, which deals death, you know, across the air. And it's like, because they haven't seen one before, because nobody even has fucking metal, really. Uh, even though they do, it's like, they they have metallurgy, but they only use it to craft rad helmets. <laughs> um, they, yeah. don't, they don't fuck around, make swords or anything. <laughs> but... uh yeah, it's just like these really basic ideas and technology are putting certain characters in a mythological places within the story. Uh, and I love that kind of shit. I love all
0: of that. I'm not sure that Fulci even consciously was aware of those. I don't think he really intended that. Maybe he did. I'm not yeah sure. I bet
1: he did. I bet he did.
0: yeah, I mean he was a, he was a smart dude. I mean, he was like a fucking doctor before he became a filmmaker. You know what I mean? really? Yeah, he was a physician, man. He was, um, I think he quit because he didn't like the way that one, like the head of the hospital was talking to him. So he's like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm out. (laughs) You know? That's interesting. And he started, yeah, he started making movies. So, I mean, it's funny because the physician aspect, and they even asked them in this interview about like, if his knowledge on anatomy you know helped him with the gore and stuff and he's like right. oh yeah he's like but but it wasn't really like the same like it was something that he kind of it wasn't because of that it's just something he exaggerated upon you know what i mean
1: right interesting you know like how tom savini was a um war photographer in vietnam and so he saw a lot of just like that. That's that
0: yeah that's exactly it yeah Interesting,
1: man. I didn't know that. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Which I mean, he's very body driven. I mean, um, I mean, I don't know one movie where there's not a body aspect. Even like in that movie uh, for the apocalypse, there is this like, there's a a birthing scene, which isn't really as graphic, but there's a baby being born in very terrible conditions.
1: And it's
0: like this whole big scene and the baby is born and like brought out in this cloth and it's kind of transitional moment in the film. And it's, it's pretty cool because it's, there's other times where there's blood and knives slicing because there's this psycho, like Charles Manson looking fucking cowboy guy um, that gets everybody all fucked up on peyote. You know what I mean? It's just got this whole, you know, it's got this whole human aspect to it. And I think that comes from his knowledge of like, I guess uh, people and um, being more in tune with them as a physician, rather than just being a filmmaker or an artist, you know, secondary.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that, man. I didn't know that.
0: I mean, I guess puking up intestines and eyeball uh, puncturing, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's that's, his jam. Yeah, That says enough. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Oh uh, yeah. Although I guess there was no eyeball puncturing in Conquest. I don't think I kept waiting for it, and I was like,
0: no, nope, nowhere. Interesting. No, yeah, and he, he's got a big thing for eyes. He does, every movie. Yeah. That's probably the the only movie I haven't seen that doesn't have a uh like a a fast close up on eyes. Maybe I have to watch right. it again and see. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know one part where there's like a close up of like a a fast zoom on the on the you know uh, the the eyes.
1: Right. Yeah, no I don't I don't think there was one.
0: As as far as, as as the movie goes. How how do you how do you how do you rate it, man? Like what is it like a top tier, bottom tier, what what do you think?
1: Oh, for sure a top tier movie. Like I I'm, I'm definitely going to grab that Shout Factory Blu-ray, you know, and I'm at the point now where um because of streaming, you know, and I I collectively spend such money on streaming that I buy stuff that i love you know once upon a time i may have bought a movie um sort of casually that i, that I might only watch a couple of times but nowadays i'm in the habit of buying movies that i know i'm going to watch pretty regularly and conquest is most certainly one of those movies like I, I gotta have it i gotta see it um you know remastered and cleaned up shop factory style and Uh, get all the special features and such and hear that beautiful goddamn soundtrack in stereo or mono the way it's intended.
0: I want to see it with the crisp look. I've never seen it in a good quality. I've always seen it in shit quality. You know what I mean? Well, see, I assume that the, I assume that the quality, the, the one that's
1: on prime because it has the shout factory logo on it. Um, I, I think that's the Shout Factory copy. I think that's the remaster
0: on Tubi. Is like it says Shout Factory, and I'm telling you, it's not the uh, Shout Factory fucking version. Okay, yeah. But but I could be wrong on the Conquest because I think the the version on Prime is way better than the version on Tubi. It was at least it was for a while, but right on. Um, I, I'm really not sure now. Yeah, but I think they remastered it on their two, like from a two K scan for the the Shout Factory one.
1: What the fuck? Okay, right. My internet is is mostly pretty good, but uh, it comes and goes, and yeah, you don't get that issue on Blu Ray. You're gonna get every fucking frame is gonna be full pixel and and clear as it's gonna be. You know, whereas where I'm, when I'm watching Prime, depending on the time of day, I might occasionally get a. A shitty patch or something um but yeah it's a movie that i'm i'm gonna want to see as sharp as
0: possible a few times a year for the rest of my life so so before we you know close out and stuff like that i ha- have this really cool quote that i read in um michael moorcock's the eternal champion which is pretty uh, I'll, I'll read this quote real quick because it really makes a lot of sense to kind of the ideas that we've been like kind of discussing here so it, it basically says here here it is the Eternal Champion is, in one sense, the scream of a young man who finds the world a more complicated place than he imagined and feels, therefore betrayed. Betrayal is certainly one of its primary themes, as in so of my fantasy romances from the Elric stories onwards, but the simple message has always been the same through all these books. We are not betrayed by others. We betray ourselves by substituting egocentric, egocentricity for self-respect by refusing to see the world as it really is by too readily accepting easy myths in our efforts to understand the things that bewilder us. I thought that was pretty spot on (laughs) for the idea of like the basic concepts of the fantasy hero, really.
1: Right. Yeah, for sure. Which are, you know, basically what, what Moorcock is saying is, is do or don't, um, you know, don't, fucking point fingers just act um you know in in accordance with what's best for you and those around you or whatever and uh yeah i love that that's that's a hundred percent you know that's that's not only what i take home from the best pulp fiction and fantasy but just kind of how i try and live my life you know is a a life of actions rather than words and um don't point fingers, you know, always look at yourself first in any conflict.
0: For sure. For sure. Awesome.
1: Cool. I, I've never read any more cock man. Well, no, that's not true. I think I've come across some of his shorts here and there, but I, I've never read any of the Elric books and I've always wanted to.
0: I, this is the first one I've read and it was fucking awesome. I mean, there's some parts that I like have a couple if he's on, but it's a, I want to read more as in I'm saying it's solid and it's the ending is fucking awesome. It's so bleak and I did not expect it. <laughs> it touches the whole like human nature do or don't. So, I mean, it gets really fucking dark and you know, you kind of comes out of left field and I feel like that's, that's, I, I I want, I want a sword and sorcery movie now, not some crappy CGI Amazon shit fest for like butt rockers dude i want like a right yeah. i want a good good fucking sword Ugh. and sorcery movie and i think it's out there and i think it's possible
1: yeah yeah there are so there are, i was about to say so many that's not true at all um but there are a few that come kind of close man like i really dug pathfinder pathfinder has its flaws as a whole Pathfinders is a pretty fucking rad cool-ass pulp fantasy movie. I don't know if you've seen it.
0: No, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen Pathfinder.
1: Um, Pathfinder is done by Marcus Nispel, who did... Uh, he did... It's like, for some reason, after he did Pathfinder, he became the um, the go-to guy to remake horror movies that should never have been remade. Like He did the Texas Chain remake, and he did the Friday the 13th remake um and he also did the fucking conan movie with jason momoa which like had Dude, such I potential I, I do too but it's like i hate it even more because it, it has such potential like the
0: there was so many cool parts in the movie yeah so many were cool like, parts you know like the cult sacrificing the end there reminded me of uh it reminded me of like uh like the festival or like Fucking Dagon, the end of like uh, you know Stuart Gordon's Dagon. There was like this like sacrificial scene, very very, uh, very culty and Lovecrafty, and 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 not even just Lovecrafty, but just the stuff that the stuff that Conan is made of. And it just it did not go well. It just didn't, no, didn't cut it for me. Yeah, Yeah. and same as John, like John Carter, or
1: oh, um, see, I love John Carter. um, No, I
0: love John Carter too. I really liked it, and I thought that was a good example but i I want more i want more you know i want more um i want more stuff in the vein of conquest or even just the original conan and you know beastmaster and those kind of styles Uh, i feel like headhunter was the best kind of example of that especially but i mean it had its flaws too because it was such a singular it, it was a little more a little more like Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, ish rather than being uh, being Conan like, I suppose.
1: Right, yeah, a little more like high fantasy, as they say, than yeah, than sword and sandals or sword and sorcery. Yeah,
0: but yeah. it definitely had his horror in there. It was definitely scary. It definitely had good parts, but it was a little too, fuck, man, it was a little too like just too human. It was too like in time. It was too uh, too close to human nature and i'm not saying it's a bad thing it was definitely a badass movie i fucking loved it but i i feel like i just haven't been given the the proper dose since since watching those you know classic films of of the genre from the 80s
1: right yeah it's tough man it's like um i used to be chummy with somebody who's a pro fight choreographer um and she worked a lot on game of thrones and she works on a lot of video games and stuff and her deal is um so she gets hired for being like one of the world's foremost medieval martial artists and then she shows up to work on these projects and they fight every single one of her ideas about realism until they become just another lightsaber fight you know, and it's like, that's not what fucking sword fights look like, and that's part of why it's hard to get a fantasy film made on a low budget, because people think sword fights look like that, people think you have to, like, clang swords for five to ten minutes before somebody dies, um, like it's Star Wars, and that's that's not what fucking real sword fights look like, (laughs) Um, you know, real sword fights are quick and ugly and dirty, and you don't, fucking bang swords like ever. That's not a goddamn part of sword fighting really. But um because that's the fucking idea that everybody has, everybody's like, "Well, I don't have the budget for a fight choreographer, so I can't make a fantasy movie." And then you get stuff like The Headhunter, which was like a dark fantasy movie without a fight choreographer. So
0: Right, yeah. For me, yeah, yeah. as
1: cool as The Headhunter is, it's a damn cool movie but it's like 80 minutes of me just wanting to see at least one fight. Just fucking, just let me see like one of these fights instead of 80 minutes of you coming home with heads, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This doesn't quite hold up for me, like for feature length. Um, Right. And, yeah.
0: Which is it's good that it was so short because yeah, it was sure. like, I mean, think about it. It was like post his, it was post all of the heads that he had found. And it really wasn't... That's what I'm saying. It really wasn't a sword and sorcery movie. It wasn't a fantasy movie. It was a character from a fantasy movie put into a human situation. Right, The only part that was fantasy, whereas the head that he fought, he didn't really fight in the end. There was really no good fighting. It was just the idea that he could do it.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think if people would settle into, like... You know, you gotta know where to put your fucking money in a low-budget feature. And so, if you've got a little bit of money, just just worry about a fight choreographer, man. Just get a fucking solid choreographer um, and see what you can do with that, you know? Because uh, spending your money on costuming and, like, facial prosthetics for orcs and stuff just doesn't quite cut it.
0: Well, I mean, if you look back at all those fantasy movies we had been dis- discussing there's not really like the greatest costumes either you know what i mean like what they're wearing like a fur, <laughs> fur pelt and some loincloth. like
1: right yeah yeah but there's artistry you know like they worked with what they had um if you look at a lot of these sword and sandals movies it'll be a lot of like a, a dude is in a loincloth with some high sandals but it'll have a super wicked awesome helmet
0: yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, it's like just just something um that they can get by with, but uh yeah, I don't there's definitely a sore lack of these kind of movies being made nowadays and and <clears throat> I swear that most of the problem is with fight choreography cuz fight choreography in general is in fucking sorry shape in um you know, in Hollywood and mainstream film. And everything trickles down. I mean, the, the little guys who barely have enough money to pull off their feature, they're looking at their favorite Hollywood movies to see what can be done and how to do things. And when, you know, everything looks like Star Wars and Game of Thrones, they think that's what you got to do. Um, and it's uh, it's just rare that you come across, you know, something that with a more realistic feel to it. Uh, in terms of the violence and the action, I think if like people would really realize what they what they can do in that field, we would see more of these movies. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know that's a hindrance for me personally, like a, as a no budget filmmaker, like I would have already banged out some no budget fantasy short in the Georgia woods if I could pull off a fight scene. But I'm just not that confident. And don't have the money to find somebody who does.
0: You don't want it to look like a larping, you know, meeting and fucking right. and fucking the the Central Park. You know, you don't want it to look like right. that. And that's and that- I don't
1: want to fall back on like what I know I can do, which is I mean I can do what Game of Thrones does, which is quick cut a lot of stuff that shot so damn close that you can't really tell what's going on and make it through editing kind of seem like there's a fight happening. You know, I can do that, but that looks like shit to me. I don't want to see that. You know, I want to see stuff that, um, that looks like uh, haywire by Steven Soderbergh, though. It's not a fantasy flick. Um, the violence in haywire is phenomenal. And it's just like people getting their fucking faces smashed in and people getting shot. And, uh, but not flying across the street like in a Rodriguez movie. And um, yeah, <laughs> just really grim, understated, realistic violence. And uh, I'm trying to think of a fantasy. Did you like Mandy? I haven't seen Mandy, man. I, I very oh, much want to see Mandy and Beyond the Black Rainbow, but I haven't seen either.
0: Man, um, Beyond the Black Rainbow is one of those, I mean, not to get off the fantasy subject, um which I guess it has a very very cool sci-fi which it reminds me of uh, Zora at some point in um in the in Beyond the Black Rainbow. But it as terms of just aesthetic value, the movie's fucking awesome. There's some very creepy parts. Um very just it's a great movie. If you if you like the ethereal substance, which I know you do. Yeah. Mandy, choreography wise there are some fight scenes, man, that, and I consider it a, I consider it a fantasy movie. I don't consider it really a horror movie. It's definitely a revenge flick, but it is like a, it's like a fucking, it is like a modern, not modern, I suppose, because it takes place in the eighties, but it's like a, definitely like a, it's a, a sword, sword and warrior movie. I, I don't know how to explain it, but there's some fights <laughs> in there, man. Very good imagery, like a, tigers and fucking you know monsters it's very it's got that it's got a conquest film man i'm telling you um i I definitely think you should check it out man if you if you love conquest this is this you'll probably like this better because i think it's a lot of people hate it a lot of people love it i think it's i think it's a fucking amazing movie it's one of my favorites
1: no i'll definitely get to it man i've i've been meaning to every time i go to watch it it's um it's just like a little too long for me whenever I think about watching it. I'm like, oh shit, it's like two <laughs> hours long.
0: I'll, yeah, I'll get yeah. to it
1: another day or whatever. But um I have been looking forward to it. Uh before I forget, fucking have you seen Nicholas Wending Reffin's uh, *The
0: Valhalla Rising? No, man, that's like on my list too, dude. Oh, because yeah, I, I love him as a director. And uh yeah, I, I totally yeah. forget to watch that one. I need to watch that one
1: it's killer and it's got a great handle on like medieval um violence you know the there's no fucking lightsaber sword clanging bullshit in that movie it's just people getting chopped down ugly and quick
0: uh did you hear that uh, uh robert eggers i guess is doing a a viking revenge movie or something yeah
1: and i expect with his his whole thing you know as a filmmaker is his dedication to accuracy of period or whatever so i assume he'll show up with some really solid sword violence and and not have a bunch of star wars shit going on
0: i, I can't imagine him doing anything like that um especially just because he's very- i can't
1: either because he's so like understate you know he's a quiet filmmaker i would yeah. say
0: yeah oh the, the the movie's called the north man which is pretty fucking awesome
1: word yeah no i'm stoked i fucking love the witch and i love the lighthouse
0: even more than the witch so me too me too me too yeah so so hopefully we maybe we do have some good stuff coming up man maybe maybe it's out there maybe um you know maybe it's just perhaps weird we get yeah. unlocked i don't know
1: who knows yeah i don't know i've kind of got like some vague hope not that this would be a like a grim realistic violent thing it would be a a super high fantasy, goofy sword clanging thing. But I, I kind of have hope that um, in the next year or so, we're going to see a decent Dungeons and Dragons movie because the license is so popular and like the mainstream is behind it. And they got so many people in Hollywood, like mover, shaker, action star type people who play D&D. And so if they can't fucking get a decent script together, they're not trying
0: yeah, I remember the movie that came out like, what was it, twenty years ago? I think. Uh, Oof! Yeah, yeah, I saw it in theaters. I was like so pumped, and i am i I'm have never really, I'm not like a huge Dungeons and Dragons person, but I always appreciated the the concept. And you know, I've been around people that have um been um, big fans and players, so that movie right. kind of sucked.
1: <laughs> yeah, it sucked hard. Yeah, yeah, I saw it in the cinema as well. Um, the second one is pretty good, though. The second one's called, like, Wrath of the Dragon King or some shit. It was a straight-to-DVD joint, but it's, like, actual D&D. It's written by people who clearly play D&D because you see elements of the game on screen. And um, it was really interesting. You got to deal with some straight-to-DVD CG and such. But... uh <laughs> but other than that it, it was actually like it felt like a real dungeons and dragons movie which is you know the the other one did not
0: <laughs> well uh dude we i think we made it past the fucking past the hour mark i think we got enough uh enough talking about conquest to uh to make an episode so uh if you got anything else to say about this movie or anything you liked about it, dude, please, please go on and, uh, get your last word in.
1: Uh, no, it just, it, it's a brilliant movie. If you're a Fulci fan or a sword and sandals fan, this movie is for you. Check it out. Um, if you're into Italian horror, you know, if, uh, you're in any of that kind of approach to filmmaking that we just blabbed about in a meandering way for roughly an hour, This is most definitely going to score higher on your list. Check out Conquest. Awesome, dude. All right, man. Well, thank you for coming on.